You're just going to record this and you're going to use it at the top of the show. <laughs> I know it. Hi, welcome to Meet Your Heroes podcast. I'm Audrey. And I'm Elliot. And, uh, you know, we're here today to give you 30 minutes of questionable history lessons about some of you know the most notable people in history like a textbook but less peer review and more jokes yes also potentially more fair to the complexity of the people they really were that's a much better way to describe it yes this is not just cancel culture for podcasts this is humanizing complex messy people in complex messy situations it just turns out that a lot of the people that we build a hero uh mythos around ended up being particularly shitty they did right whether or not they were shitty to begin with or their situation turned shitty you know what intent doesn't matter so who is our messy complicated person today our hero this week is one of the most revered people in the United Kingdom. Actually, voted the greatest Britain of all time by the British public. Wow. Uh, also happened to have won a Nobel Prize. You come in with these heavy hitters. These I, Nobel Prize winning I feel like the heroes. Nobel Prize winners... Let's... As a quick diversion... Sure. Alfred Nobel himself mm-hmm. has a lot of parallels to this guy in some ways. Well, as at least one. Eh. Alfred Nobel himself <laughs> was big on doing some uh, very questionable things and trying to still make sure history remembered him well. Mm. History so, remembers the winners. Right? But Nobel made his whole fortune and livelihood in dynamite. For war, to blow people up. Started the Nobel Prize with his riches so that people would remember him for a prize instead of making explosives to blow people up. Isn't that how it always goes? Right? So, it worked. Sure. I, I don't know anything about Nobel. Well, I don't know how interesting the rest of his life is, but maybe a future episode. Mm. I'll cut this if it's a spoiler. Great. <laughs> so maybe we'll hear more about Nobel on a future episode. But this person... Voted the greatest Britain of all time by the British public. Won his Nobel Prize. Sir Winston Churchill. Wow. So let's just start. Why is he a hero? Uh, Most people would know him for being the prime minister during World War II Mm -hmm. when he is credited with defeating the Nazis, essentially. Mm. And let me just say right off the bat, big fan of his defeating the Nazis work. Great, great work. I also believe... Some folklore is he drank whiskey at breakfast. Um, drinking a lot, part of his folklore. Cigars a lot, too. Okay. Knighted by the Queen. Sir, Yeah, the sir wouldn't imply that unless he had a first name I didn't know about. Yeah, it's true. Good point. <laughs> um, lots of quotes. I'm pretty sure if you look him up on any quote website, 40% is by law Winston Churchill quotes. <laughs> and we'll find Accurate? out. That was on purpose. Oh, sure. It's it's uh, it's pretty clear. It's pretty clear. Mm-hmm. Um. He, he did make good speeches. He had some very memorable quotes. Uh, we shall fight on the beaches. 
this was their finest hour, never in the field of human conflict was so much owed by so many to so few. Um, mm-hmm. Very poetic. Um, when asked about fighting the Nazis, this is, I'm just reading read this quote because this is a good part of the speech. You ask, what is our policy, he said? I can say it is to wage war by sea, land, and air with all our might and with all the strength that God can give us to wage war against a monstrous tyranny, never surpassed in the dark, lamentable catalog of human crime. That is our policy. Mm, sounds a lot like Captain America. I mean, yes, people <laughs> eat Captain America up. Yeah. The movies were very successful for a reason. People want that to rally around. Sure. And during a war... It was great. So, this man can make a speech. The question I really want us to start with, though, how different was he from the Nazis he fought so hard against? I cannot answer that because I know nothing about this man. (laughs) Okay, Winston Churchill, let me put it this way. Fought for democracy. Fought well. Mm -hmm. Defeated the Nazis. Amazing, right? Sure. So, the question is, he's got to be total opposites, right? Let's see. Um... Okay, born 1874. Okay, right around the uh, telephone time. Yes, right right around post-Civil War in the United States. Uh, born to a British noble and an American socialite, right? In that so, order. Um, <laughs> <laughs> technically born from the American socialite there we go. There we go. first, but yes. Um, okay, from a young age, uh, I'm going to quote some words historians have used to describe him because it seems clear... Uh, that he believed himself to be, quote-unquote, a man of destiny. Mm. Uh, had some means and really, like, let that soak into him. Uh, his biographers have described him as egocentric, brash, self-confident, flamboyant, excitable, self-absorbed, and self-centered. To which Instagram influencers say, you ain't special. <laughs> well, Same. Yes. Same. Um, wow. He, he, okay. lacks, he lacks self-restraint, could be reckless. Who among us? Who among us? in his youth especially displayed impetuous self-centeredness uh he he from an early age saw himself as a career politician uh, profoundly ambitious and eager for prominence so he's just like on the playground like whipping people onto his side of the aisle i mean military school yes oh okay so maybe basically yes <laughs> that's right wow um goes to the royal military academy and then gets assigned to you know Prance around the world during British colonialism. Mm-hmm. So fighting in Bombay, Egypt, Sudan, um, or assignments there. Not always fighting. But he later described this as, um, quote, scurrying around the world from one exciting scene to another in the days when England had lot of jolly little wars against barbarous peoples. <gasps> he did not. Oh, yeah. So this is where we're starting off. He, he's, he, but he, he got to just, right? So he's just seeing himself as like, this is the peak British imperialism right before it all goes to hell. Just like, uh, the verb scurrying and just really, really rubs me the wrong way there. I love this combination of jolly little wars against barbarous peoples. I mean, I don't love that cuts, combination. Oh, I love it because how telling it is. Sure. It tells us exactly who we're dealing with. Sure. He loved violence. Oh, does he love violence for himself or does he love asking people to enact violence on his behalf? Oh, so he loves inflicting violence. Wow. And having wow. other people inflict it. There's something about it that mm. really speaks to him. Mm. Um, yeah, that something is called sociopathy. Yes. So one example of this, he, the sociopathy in particular, right? When he, he always wanted to live beyond his means. So even when he was a soldier, mm-hmm. he needed some extra money. So he, was, he became a war correspondent. That's where he started writing. He's later going to win this Nobel Prize for literature. Spoiler alert, right? Um, but so he starts writing as a war correspondent early on. Um, and... Um, 
he would write things like in South Africa, uh, there was this British army building uh, this one, basically one of the first concentration camps to intern civilians during this, this second Boer war. And uh, he wrote that there was um, the camps were responsible for a, a minimum of suffering um, at the same time that it's estimated 26,000 women and children died there. And so to, to be able to describe this as a minimum of suffering gives you a sense like he was not bothered by that. We have very, very different definitions of minimum, which obviously <laughs> is not a standard unit of measure, but somehow doesn't feel like it quite meets that mark. No. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So so he could make money with his words early on and he was making a lot of money. Uh, 10,000 pounds for speaking tours across the Brit, uh, Britain and the U.S. As a soldier? Uh, yeah. Well, so this is after he went from being a soldier to being a member of parliament. He got started it. to like, it, do it, more it, speaking. Got it, got it. Cool. Uh, so he went from like this kind of tour of duty to parliament. Mm-hmm. Um, that's like a million pounds in today's money. So it is not minor change, right? He's he's got like Lady Gaga speaking fees. In fact, one historian literally described him the Paris Hilton of British politics. <laughs> I kid you not. That is an insult to both parties. <laughs> <laughs> what? Well, because the, the reason was, it, so if he toured Africa, he brought 17 pieces of matched luggage with him or, okay kylie right when he got so once he got hit by a car and he <laughs> wrote about it in new york and he wrote about it right he's basically his life became a forerunner of reality tv right sure. he was doing everything to seek celebrity um who's reading this and where oh british people are reading it up americans are reading it up he did not so just in newspapers is he putting out books periodicals How? yes so he's he will just write like books my life this month yeah well writing about his car. about his tour of the world his duties um, he basically does everything he can to establish himself as a celebrity. Does not release a sex tape. What if he could? What if he could? Technology <laughs> was not ready. <laughs> so, um, he he started off as a member of the Conservative Party, right? As a member of Parliament, he was he considered himself liberal for the time because basically, like socially, he didn't care for any of the norms. So he, he went conservative, liberal, and then back conservative by the end of his career. Mm-hmm. Um, so being liberal though did not. I mean, you couldn't also happen to be like a, a war criminal, racist, anti-Semite, right? All these other things, right? Yes, it, it was not a barrier at that point. Um, but he joined 1906. He joins the liberal administration, right? Okay. And uh, when there's civil disobedience, he's like aggressively authoritarian about it, right? Even in the liberal. So um, when he gets promoted to Home Secretary, there's these Irish struggles, basically for home rule, for suffragism, okay. right? Strikes. Mm-hmm. Um, he ordered troops to attack striking miners in South Wales. Uh, and he sent battalions of police himself um, to go oversee and, and put down these strikes. And uh, to this day, this is one of the only points people in the UK will still call him a villain for. When he had another standoff with uh, what were basically like Latvian anarchists later on, he, he, took the, he took the unusual step of assuming command of the police himself for this siege, right? And then when he was personally in charge, he ended it by burning the house where they are and burned them alive. No. Yes. Right. Um, relished this, right? This opportunity to How exert How do we control. know he relished this? Because it's... consistently over and over again in his life, right? Yeah. He chooses the most violent, coercive, authoritarian yeah. course of action mm. consistently. Mm. Um 
now let's talk about his eugenics, right? So at, at this point, he's been in member of parliament and home secretary. Sure. Uh, and while he's home secretary, he basically said he was in favor of confinement, segregation, and sterilization of everyone he considered feeble-minded, right? Uh, he basically asked the officials to uh, prevent marriage of people with mental illness. And he said, I quote, the multiplication of the feeble-minded is a very terrible danger to the race. Um, he argued in parliament for basically forced labor camps for mental defectives is how he put it, quote, mental defectives. So I want you to imagine a camp of people with mental illness being, or sorry, mental deficits of some sort being forced to work as slave labor. And he, did he consider like empathy a mental illness? Because it sounds like anything below absolute, like psychopathy it would qualify oh. if you don't relish burning people alive like that i would be feeble-minded he had plenty of empathy for uh his fellow british people his fellow white people sure. his fellow europeans at some point okay um, yeah but wow. but he said this is another quote after he attended this first international eugenics conference right i'm he familiar with it he he said and i quote the unnatural and increasingly rapid growth of the feeble-minded and insane classes coupled as it is with a steady restriction among all the thrifty, energetic, and superior stocks, constitutes a national and race danger from which it is impossible to exaggerate. Um, wow. That's worse than what Alexander Graham Bell said leaving that conference. Yes, yes, it is. Uh, he was a true believer. Um, so he wasn't Home Secretary for long, though, because World War I breaks out and he gets promoted to commander of the Navy, or an admiral in the Navy. Um, so it was like 1915. Yes. And and remember this violent streak. In 1915, he said, my God, this is living history. Everything we're doing and saying is thrilling. It would be read by a thousand generations. Think of that. Why? I would not be out of this glorious, delicious war for anything the world could give me. He just wanted to be in this violence, right? Loved it. Relished it. Um, unfortunately, then led to... Um, in this excitement, failed operation, which ended up killing um, thousands of his men. Uh -oh. uh, yeah, he made a big mistake in it's what's called the disaster of uh, Gallipoli, uh, where basically he made a miscalculation. They were going to storm this thing, and just his guys got slaughtered. Uh, um, and, but he didn't. Well, and he didn't, right? Um, Some Napoleon bullshit It shoot right through there. his units. Yes, right? And so at this point, he is demoted and basically kicked out. It takes him... No, he manages over the next few years to, like, rehabilitate his image. But, like, this is the... He, it puts him on the straights because he's just, like, gung-ho for it until it ends up... He just, like, kills tons of his own men in this miscalculation. Um, so he is... Leaves here, um, kicked out of his naval post as an admiral and he goes back to parliament kind of defeated um world war is still going on until 1918 uh, but he is kind of just trying to raise the ranks and he's like 45 at this point um 40 ish right yeah. he's born in 74 1874 so yeah 40 yeah middle age okay um so suffered a big defeat end of world war one comes around and this is where we really get a taste for his virulent anti-Semitism. Mm. Yes. So um, he he was a huge advocate of quashing this Russian Revolution, which was like a communist thing. And he's like, it's got a, it's the uh, quote unquote uh, sinister Confederacy of the National Jew oh. that is that is really backing this. Okay. Um, he did ha he did have this distinction in his mind about the good Jew bad Jew. 
um, story, which is that like the good Jews wanted to have Israel and the bad Jews were all the Jews that were putting their tentacles all throughout the rest of the world, trying to make the world communist. Mm. And so he, and so the old tentacly Jew. Yes. Right. That like terrible. Like, yes. I mean like the, the Jesus. most tropiest of tropes. He was like, Oh yeah, just gonna, you know, praise and honor the, the good Jew that, that is going to have his little enclave of the world. Wow. And this is before world war two. Right. But he thought the Jews had quote, been allowed to prey upon the temporary prostration of the German people. Um, so he was already before World War II saying, you know, these Germans have been really mistreated by the Jews. They're kind of the source of their problems and why they're so depressed after this war. Which. It's not the trench warfare or the like death of half the men in the country. Yeah. Or or just the economic restraints placed on them by the rest of the countries in Europe. Um, right. OK, so. The next thing important to know in the next stage of his life is that um, in addition to the anti-Semitism, uh, he was a big proponent of chemical weapons, um, mm. usually associated with, you know, dictators like nowadays Saddam Hussein or Bashar al-Assad. Uh, but mm-hmm. um, in 1920, the same time, right, so before World War II starts, um, he is writing to people who are other British soldiers who are like putting down some insurrection in Iraq, part of the empire, right? I think you should especially proceed with this experiment to work on gas bombs, especially mustard gas, which would inflict punishment on recalcitrant natives without inflicting grave injury on them. We know from World War One, like mustard gas is chlorine, right? It just, it turns the Mm -hmm. liquid, the liquid water in your lungs to hydrochloric acid and suffocates you by dissolving your lungs from the inside. Right. I have an extreme fear. I am you know how much I like to clean, right? Oh, yes. I always am very concerned about any product that has ammonia being anywhere near bleach because I'm like, this is not how it yes, is for right? me. But he was like, oh, yeah, yeah. He was like, you got bombs in Iraq? Go gas the guys uh, with bombs, right? He's, quote, I'm strongly in favor of using poison gas against uncivilized tribes is how he put it more succinctly. Um, Tell us how you really feel, buddy. Right. Okay, so it's the 30s. The British Parliament is trying considering granting some independence to India, right, which is the nicest part of its colonial empire. Uh, and Churchill vehemently opposed this, right, and what this hateful, very long campaign that even then was considered not just undemocratic, like verging on totalitarianism. Uh, historians said that basically it was uh, even the most conservatives, let alone the liberals. Uh, his views on India were just abhorrent sure. at this point. Um, he had quotes like, quote, it is alarming and nauseating to see Mr. Gandhi, a seditious middle temple lawyer, now striding half naked up the steps of the palace. Um, That's a statement. Yeah. He, basically, they, everybody in part, they, he gets cast out. This is called his wilderness years because he's so racist. Uh, and it becomes clear how racist when it comes to this India question that he just they they won't let him be part of their leadership anymore. Um, and it's not just like his personal vendetta against Gandhi, although he does really dislike Gandhi, who's no saint himself, uh, as we'll find. But still, um, Churchill basically felt this way about any group of indigenous people that were trying to, like, have their own land. Um, he was just like... No sovereignty for you. Yeah, right? Like This quote, I think, sums it up pretty strongly. Uh, He said, I won't admit that a great wrong has been done to the red Indians of America or the black people of Australia. I do not admit that a wrong has been done to these people by the fact that a stronger race, a higher grade race, Uh a more worldly wise race has come in and taken their place. 
Wow. It's going to be I mean, a, that's hard to even respond to. Fucking yikes for me, right? Yeah. <laughs> now that's what I call fucking yikes. So, yes. So, when you are too Ooh. racist for 1930s colonial British parliament, ah. you know you are, like, real deal racist, right? So, we have established now mm-hmm. that we have a super fucking racist, violence-loving eugenicist who's in favor of gassing people, who has no problem getting out and conquering the world for the superior races... The thing that basically distinguishes him from Mussolini and Hitler, right, is that he is fighting for democracy and they are fighting for fascist totalitarianism, right? I mean, but based on his definition uh, or the way that he's like living democracy, it doesn't feel that different. It feels like he wants democracy for himself and himself, but... On principle, it doesn't feel like he cares about democracy globally. You know, historians would agree with you. (laughs) It turns out. Okay. um, I'll take it. As historian Paul Edison writes, uh, with fascism as such, he really had no quarrel. Um, Mm. Because Churchill really liked Mussolini, too. He actually thanked Mussolini for having rendered a service to the world because he fought communism and trade unions and the leftist liberals. Um, he, he literally said in Italy in 1927, right before all of this goes down, right? Um, if I'd been an Italian, I'm sure I would have been wholeheartedly with you from the start to the finish in your triumphant struggle against the bestial appetites and passions of the Leninism, right? The communist, right? Sure, um, sure, sure. He said he had intimate and easy relations with Mussolini. He just, he fit in with the fascists, right? This um, is the uh, good guys on both sides. Yes, situation. right? Holy in 35, cow. Churchill expressed his admiration for Hitler. Because he had, quote, the courage, the perseverance, and the vital force which enabled him to overcome all the resistances which barred his path. Right? If you heard that about some other dickhead, just that statement, you'd be like, yeah, and so does Hitler. But he was literally he, saying, literally so t- does Hitler. <laughs> talking about Hitler. Oh, yes. no. Yeah. So, okay, so, so the question is, like, this guy is going to end up fighting these people. Mm-hmm. And being considered a hero in history for fighting these Nazis and fascists in a few years, okay. right? Why? What was it troubling? What was it that set him over, right? Um, it it wasn't their invasion into Ethiopia, say, right? Because that like that was like a legitimate colonial conquest place, right? Fascism was a problem for Churchill when it became a threat to the British Empire. Right? Gonna, this it's economic. Order. Yeah, well, economic and land-wise, right? He felt that there was a European claim to the land that the white people were on, like these Brits, these French over here. Like, this is established. If you want to go conquer and kill all those inferior races, fine. But Uh. this is our land. And then it turns out that these fascists start to encroach on Britain, which happens to be a democracy right now. He likes democracy for British white people. Uh, And then it becomes a problem, right? Mm. Um, So, yeah. So, basically, Hitler aggression in Europe forced the British ruling class to abandon this idea of appeasement where they were just going to like let Hitler do his thing because frankly they were on board with this whole like you know white people going and conquering the world part uh, but when it came to Poland like that was the first thing Never- Neville Chamberlain was the prime minister at the time mm-hmm. stepped down and then Churchill stepped in uh, and he became basically like the commander of this and he was like alright it's fucking on we're going to fight I love fighting you want to fight first. you want to fight me we're going to do it Britain first yes um and 
right even even as it's starting he he sends this letter to Mussolini and he pleads with him he's like is it too late to stop a river of blood flowing between the British and Italian peoples down the ages above all other calls comes from the cry that joint heirs of the Latin and Christian civilization must not be ranged against one another in mortal strife hearken to it I beseech you in all honor and respect before the dread signal is given so he's like can't some nice white people get along and just go conquer the black and brown people of the world do we really our white christian brothers have to fight each other right and Mussolini writes back sir this is an arby's drive through <laughs> yes <laughs> uh, and granted now this is so in this like world war ii chapter he's in charge of what is ultimately the victory over the nazis and we're not going to fault him a bit for that thanks for fighting the nazis sir the british weren't putting people in the jews in camps right great the Nazis were not the same on both sides, but a lot of the same fundamental power structures that Hitler was trying to like impose over the rest of the world were fundamentally like explicitly respected and enjoyed and encouraged by one Sir Winston Churchill. Mm. Um, before the war's even over, Germany's defeated, but Japan is not, mm-hmm. and Churchill is voted out in a landslide. Right? Um, wow. Yeah. Why? So the, right. He defeated the Nazis, uh, but it was very clear that like. He was not the person to lead them in peacetime. They were like, uh, no, people had no confidence in his ability to be a peacetime ruler with like social services and like any sure. semblance of like what you would want from like restructuring and rebuilding a country. Right. Um, when we need you to, you know, wipe out an entire continent, we'll call. It was pretty clear, right? If you were looking for somebody to like be bloodthirsty or like to be your backbone when you had to kill some people, like Churchill's your man. Um, and then after that was over, they're like, yeah, please no. Yikes. So at this point, he's like 70? Yeah, so he's about 70 at this point. Okay. Um, and basically, he goes and capitalizes on this fame he's always wanted, right? He gets to be the hero. Um, he gets to be uh, prime minister again before it's all said and done. Uh, but as the historians say, he, he exploited this international celebrity, right? He, he um, had a bunch of really great financial advisors to ward off uh, a bunch of taxes, uh, even though he had he was drowning in debt, um, he just like managed to keep raking in money faster than he spent it somehow. Um, during a two month point in uh, forty nine after the war, his household went through four hundred and fifty four bottles of champagne, three hundred and eleven bottles of wine, and two hundred and fifty one bottles of brandy, gin, sherry port, and Johnny Walker Black. Who's in his household? <laughs> I mean, that's a good question. Wow. There were at least two other people there. From okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. I didn't say, and then what did it, the other people have? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, at some parties. Um, so yeah, he had another, in the fifties, he had another stint as prime minister, but um, yeah, basically again, had some opportunities and put down some, some uprisings just brutally, even in his short stint back in power, had to retire um, in uh, a few years later because he was ill. Um yeah, drinking like 400 bottles of wine a month will do that to you. <laughs> Turns out. So, what we know. Uh, the British Bulldog, as his nickname was, right? Celebrated as the defeater of the Nazis, which he did, rightfully so, and a champion of democracy. Yeah, we've established that. But, but it sounds like that doesn't... Uh, that's on the scale of justice. Yeah, so he won this Nobel Prize, right, for literature. Right. But because he wrote some, he wrote histories about his father and about the wartime exploits. Right? He, he wrote novels and histories. Sure. Um, in fact, he once even said, quote, history will remember me kindly, for I intend to write it. And That's... he literally did, mm-hmm. right? He literally won the Nobel Prize for his histories. Um, so, yeah, it turns out 
that an anti-Semitic, violence-loving eugenicist, uh, who believed it was fully his people's right to go out and conquer the world, including using poison gas, um, and supported fascism until it threatened the Brits, should probably not be your hero. He should not. No. Ugh. Well, I'm glad I did not meet him in real life, but thank you for educating me. Yeah, um... Glad I didn't meet him either. <laughs> um, all right. Well, so where can folks let us know um, what they think about this episode? Yes. Uh, all British citizens who are thoroughly upset can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Your Heroes Pod mm-hmm. or on the internet by downloading the. Google Chrome or Brave or Safari browsers, and then once that package is installed, opening it up, saying, no, please do not import bookmarks, going Control-L to get to the URL bar, and then typing in yourheroespodcast.com, pressing Enter, and then having that transfer the bytes from our web server to your desktop browser. All from memory. Didn't even have to do that. <laughs> you just, you just, that's locked somewhere in your deep knowledge. You're just able to get there right away just be able to whip that out at parties and win people over that's how you got me there we go (laughs) the uh old web browser pickup um so find us on our website meetyourheroespodcast.com or instagram twitter that's what i just said yeah and i'm (laughs) and i'm getting it in a five second sound bite (laughs) i just interrupted you there may i Oh, cool. Okay, great, 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 thanks. Uh, you can find us at meetyourheroespodcast.com or uh, on Twitter and Instagram at yourheroespod and um, also wherever you get your podcasts, as long as where you get those podcasts are SoundCloud, Stitcher, or iTunes. Yeah, leave us a review. Let us know what you think. Share with your friends. Um, there's lots of folks who need to meet their heroes. But until then, don't be a hero. Don't be a hero. Bye.